everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don as usual. And today we have our returning guest, Professor Pizzagate, uh, Dr. Pizzagate now, actually. Congratulations, Mike. <laughs> Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, recently got his PhD. I was not a real professor. <laughs> well, yeah. in my eyes, you always have been. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's been a while since we had you on. Um, you know, we've talked to you about the COVID vaccines, about COVID just in general, uh, kind of before, you know, that became like a thing that we all kind of are obsessed with. And uh, I thought it would be a good idea to just check in with you and see where your thoughts are, um, have your like ideas about, for example, the vaccines played out or not, or, you know, what, what are you thinking about this stuff? It's kind of interesting um, the way that uh, things have, have turned out just because, you know, some of the stuff that we were talking about uh, very early on that was later treated as, you know, like highly conspiratorial, um, like the idea that the origin of COVID might have been, you know, a lab in Wuhan are now coming back and, you know, being mainstreamed. And, you know, indeed, like that, some of the things that we were talking about, uh, about the vaccines, you know, in terms of um, there's a very large number of them being approved all at once. And given the, the track record of the industry, you know, a reasonable prior belief about the, the outcome is going to be that some of those vaccines are going to have pretty serious problems. I mean, I think those things largely panned out and turned out to be, you know, not um, not perhaps as conspiratorial as they were being treated in, you know, e even recent months. Like, it's pretty wild, actually, to see some of the uh, changing media discourse about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the lab leak thing, um, I haven't really been following that lately like what people have been saying about that but it, yeah you're right it does seem to have become more like a mainstream like oh this actually may have merit to it and whatnot so is there any like new developments or like what's the do you know, have any ideas about why that's happened so this is this is really interesting to me right because I, I mean it was always the most plausible explanation for the emergence of a new coronavirus with these characteristics in Wuhan right like it's just I mean, there was the there was a paper that we referenced, I think, back on the original Corona uh, episode that was extremely quickly uh, removed from uh, whatever preprint server it was on, where a couple of you know Chinese scientists were saying, well, like, look, like people don't eat bats in Wuhan, right? Like, this is not like a staple of their food, <laughs> and you know, it like there are bats at the seafood market. Like, is that really more plausible? than the two known research institutions which keep stocks of coronavirus samples in the same town, one of which, uh, which was not the Wuhan Institute for Virology, but was the um, local branch of the Chinese uh, CDC, uh, was very close to that um, you know, seafood market that was the alleged origin of the virus. So, I mean, I, I just think that this was, this was always kind of the more plausible thing uh, or the more plausible explanation for where this came from. And it kind of got mixed in with all of this um, like bioweapon speculation. And, right. you know, I think early on we were talking about, um, you know, in the first episode we mentioned this idea that like maybe it was these Canadian researchers who had been recently dismissed from a Canadian institute. And, you know, my opinion on that was that, that was just kind of guilt by association, like probably not the origin of the 
uh, of COVID nor representing some kind of like, you know, secret bioweapons plot there. And, you know, I mean, I think the, the bioweapons part of that or like the idea that this is like a biological attack is is probably the the uh more problematic part of like what is going around about that and i mean i don't like to some extent it's irrelevant right like whether or not it was an engineered bioweapon or not Mm -hmm. like you know someone could still be benefiting from this um you know but in terms of like why is this coming around again now you know, I think that's a great question, and I, um, I think probably like if you could understand something about why, for instance, Melinda Gates decided to disclose that the reason for her filing for divorce with Bill is, you know, this Epstein Association at the very time that this is occurring, and that like the Biden administration is doing a big about face on this, and like Fauci's looking pretty bad in the media, and people are starting to like call for his head. I mean, I, I think these things, like, there there are other games going on that are just not not really obvious to us um, mm-hmm. of the, the hoi polloi, right? So I, I it's hard to say, but, like, you know, I, I think really, like, you have to treat all of this as, as psychological operations, right? Like, anyone who was telling you a year ago, like, no, the science says that, like, this was, a, you know, transmitted from bats or, like, pangolins or something like that, and is now saying, you know, oh, like, maybe it was bioweapon or something. Like, th- those people are operators, right? Like, you, you can't trust what they're saying to begin with you know and i i think like we we just see this constantly right with the with the vaccines with the regulatory agencies like there there's a very coordinated set of messages that are being delivered uh and if you're familiar with the the scientific literature on this stuff it's just obvious that you're being operated on right like it's it's completely shameless and completely ignores like huge chunks of the evidence whenever these people are talking. You know, so I, I think what whatever the reason is, I mean, it's it's not because like people want a really honest investigation into like, you know, the Wuhan Institute of Virology or what was going on there. I mean, th- there are other political object- objectives at play, I assume. So the recent news, I guess the controversy is that there was maybe like three re- researchers or something like that at the Wuhan Institute that were uh, admitted to hospital in November or something like that of 2019. Yeah. I think that's the current story. And uh, that seems to be the thing that people are debating back and forth. They're like, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be this virus or not, but like uh, it does seem, I mean, it, it, you know, it's it, it seems like circumstantial evidence of, you know, some some direct involvement there. Um, so w- w- that, I guess that was new news. I don't know if uh, I don't I don't know what the upshot is, uh, from that is, as you said, like you can't like. Like if China, like, tried to downplay or hide the virus in different ways, which they might have done early on and stuff, it's like that's bad to some extent, but it's not like it doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't explain why it was so poorly contained in most of the world or whatever, you know, like there's, there's a lot of other factors at play there. So yeah, it gets confusing. So, yeah, totally. And, and I, I actually don't know if, um, that particular bit of news had been reported before. I mean, the, the tricky thing that's happening is that lots of the stuff that's kind of being pushed about the Wuhan Institute has, has either been reported before or like, 
you know, the agencies that are leaking it now or whatever knew about it for a long time, right? And there's some indication mm-hmm. that they knew about it for a long time. And I, I mean, at the same time, right, you have the, the Chinese just flipping the script and saying like, well, no, actually it was from like a Maryland Army Research Institute or something like that, which I mean, like, it's not totally implausible either. Like, and, and part of the part of the crazy, um, uh, you know, kind of background to all of this is that, you know, as is now becoming well known, uh, you know, Fauci, I think, it, it was forced to admit in congressional testimony that his signature is on grant documents approving uh, money for research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology on coronaviruses. And like, you know, he disputes whether or not that was for gain of function. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that like this came from a coronavirus research program and one that was an integrated U.S.-China project. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's part of the, you know, that was always part of the early conspiracy sort of minded idea, right? Like, oh, this was Fauci's lab and, you know, course they take that into kind of bizarre directions of like well so he's in league with the chinese to unleash this bioweapon and all that kind of stuff and we don't necessarily need to go to that extent with it but you know it's interesting to see like there is some there's something there you know yeah and i i mean i think like the the overt kind of like okay pandemic ideas about this i mean they're, they're just they're not really necessary i mean like we know that they predicted for a long time that this would occur you know, it, it, if like, let's say you're some American lizard person and, you know, you want a pandemic uh, and for for whatever reason, maybe just like local commercial reasons, like you're invested in Pfizer stock and not in, you know, some other pharmaceutical companies, you know, if, if you're looking at uh, the material that these people were just like openly publishing, right? And you're vaguely aware of what is going on in China. I mean, it was known and reported on for a long time that, you know, China had problems with accidental lab releases of the original SARS, like multiple uh, accidental Mm -hmm. lab releases in major urban areas, including Beijing, right? So, you know, you can be reasonably assured that this is going to happen at some point and the game would be to be positioned in order to exploit it and not necessarily to like literally design a bioweapon. You know, a coronavirus is a shitty platform for uh, bioweapon engineering because, you know, as we all now know, I mean, the rate of mutation of these things in their infected hosts is quite high. So, you know, if you have an engineered um, feature in this virus, like you're going to lose it pretty quickly. You're, you're not going to maintain control over whatever the engineered system uh, does. So that's, that's not good, right? You know, I mean, the, the problem with bioweapons is that they're not predictable. I mean, it's similar with um, some chemical weapons, like they're just ex- incredibly difficult to deploy. So it really makes no sense to make one that like, by definition, you're going to lose control of within six months, right? Like that just makes no sense. So, you know, the the kind of like, maybe like let it happen on purpose to <laughs> repurpose a 9-11 conspiracy uh, phrase. Yeah. Um, that type of explanation seems way more plausible to me. Um, and there, there clearly are like just weird things happening in this industry, like the extent of the the kinds of uh, psychological operations that are happening now in the media is is unprecedented. You know, nobody will talk about like the criminal history of these uh, companies as it relates to their conduct in clinical trials, right? Like these, it's it, you know, like Pfizer's not 
nominated DOJ chronic offender because of like financial shenanigans and money laundering. It's literally because they manipulate trial results, right? So like the the fact that like nobody will have any skepticism whatsoever about any of these vaccines, you know, tells you that that something else is going on here. And we, I mean, look like in the Canadian context, we have stuff like the Barry and Honey Sherman case, right? So we have uh, a quite large generic drug manufacturer uh, based mainly in Toronto, actually, and called Apotex that was run by a pair of wealthy socialites, uh, Barry and Honey Sherman. And like they, these are just, you know, well-known people. Everybody kind of understood what their role was in the in the ecosystem here. And they were like, I mean, B Barry, who ran, who's the CEO of the company, was just like widely hated uh, in the industry because he was, you know, extremely good at um, identifying products that were vulnerable to kind of genericization. Um, and they were like brutally murdered uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was like 2017. You know, oh, wow. like, and just no explanation. Um, Toronto police was were just, they, they just seemed like actively trying to avoid like drawing any conclusions whatsoever, which, you know, and initially like suggested it was a suicide when it was like very obviously like an organized like mob style hit, you know, this kind of stuff. Like th there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in this industry. And it's important to understand that. And, you know, it's important to understand that the marketing departments and the statistics departments of these companies are psychological operations departments. That's what they're for. That's what they do. Um, and, you know, that kind of aspect of it is, is impossible to ignore. Like we should expect weird stuff to be happening because that's how uh, these firms operate. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think part of it is, for, for someone like me who just got the shot last Friday, like the Pfizer one, and, uh, you know, looking forward to it, looking forward to getting the second shot and stuff. Uh, you know, I think there is like a really big investment that a lot of us have into wanting everything to go as smoothly as possible because of how bad things have been for about a year and a bit or whatever. Sure. You know? And even when we talk about things like maybe you need to get a booster shot here and there and stuff, it's like, okay, that's not the end of the world for me, whatever, right? Like, it's like, it's bad and maybe someone's going to profit off of it or whatever. But like, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, you know, they do have that kind of thing of wanting, it, it, there's like a psychological reason why you want to ignore a lot of this uh, controversial kind of things just because. Uh, it'd be it, it it would be nice <laughs> if you didn't have to worry about it kind of thing right absolutely like, um but it is one of those things where i i wonder are we gonna have like a long reckoning for years of trying to piece apart what has happened and trying to fix it or are we gonna have just like you know it's time to move on kind of like after bush and iraq and stuff like that just like you know don't don't worry about it don't don't overthink it just uh you know turn the page kind of thing so yeah that seems more likely that yeah. plus kind of uh, you know politicizing it into blue team red team kind of things which is obviously already a huge part of this but uh, like i think at some point it's going to be like if you know once things have normalized to some extent whatever that involves if it involves booster shots or you know whatever it'll just kind of be like no everything kind of went fine we got the vaccines out and then it all worked out and any any kind of like critical look at it any sort of like um you know criticism of the the way these companies have 
been involved in, in any of this or any of that kind of thing. It's just going to be seen as like, oh, you're just, you know, MAGA chudding kind of, you know, that that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think like as far as the popular discourse goes, it'll be memory hold for sure. I mean, the, the same way that it, like cause this just it keeps happening over and over and over with this industry, right? Where there's some big scandal, and you know you see these hilarious things, right? Like we, we have on uh, Twitter this guy. Um, you guys have probably seen his his tweets, like Doctor Eric Fagelding or whatever his name is, and he you know his claim to fame is that he was, you know, uh, an epidemiological researcher or health economist that was involved um, in demonstrating that, like, I think Vioxx was uh, causing heart attacks or whatever. So it's like his, his whole thing is, his whole claim to fame is like being skeptical about industry results, um, you know, and, and doing forensic analyses of these kinds of things. And he's been one of the biggest hypers of the vaccines. You know, and I I haven't really seen him say like, you know, we sh- we should be careful. Like we should we should like look seriously at these results um, in the light of what we already know. Like we have prior information about the conduct of these companies that needs to be taken into account. Um, but you know, I mean, Don, to your point, like let's let's say okay, we there's a vaccine that is released, and it you know it doesn't really matter which one but like let, let's just pretend that one ends up having like a one in ten thousand chance of just like killing you dead right which would be totally mm-hmm. unacceptable totally unacceptable by you know the standards that are, have been kind of broadly accepted as like normative for like the level of death that you get out of vaccines even if that's the case i mean you know and you have a one in ten thousand uh chance of dying you know, every time you get one of these shots, you could still, I mean, the majority of people who get these shots, let's say for the rest of their lives are not going to die from it. Right. So like you and all your friends can be like, no, I got the shot and I was fine. Right. Like, and like, that's, that's going to be how it goes. Right. Like lots of people are going to get these shots. Most of them are not going to get sick and, and die. And, you know, even if, um, like let's let's just take the the vaccine uh, adverse event reporting system in the U.S., um, otherwise known as VAERS. Uh, it's now it's now conspiratorial to look at that or to think about it at all. But um, you know, let's let's take that leap and and just ask you know, okay, so let's let's just take this at face value. Let's be optimistic and say there aren't that many fake reports on here, um, or at least the the level of fake reporting is is going to be similar across vaccines, something like this. Like what we're seeing is probably like thirty to fifty times the toxicity. Uh, in uh, coronavirus vaccines as we see in uh, influenza vaccines. It's very high. I mean, the number of reports that we have for the coronavirus vaccines uh, exceeds the the number of reports, I believe, for all other vaccines from 97 to present. So, you know, I mean, and the the kind of mainstream narrative about this is like okay well this is all anti-vaxxers that are like you know dogpiling the reports and i mean i've looked at a lot of the reports and they don't look like that i mean some of them are inadequate for sure but you know i I don't see a lot of evidence of fraud i mean i haven't done a forensic analysis but it does seem like there are a lot of adverse uh, uh events being reported and it's not just because of scale like flu vaccines are administered to you know something like 160 million people in the U.S. a year. That's a lot of people. It's similar to um, you know the scale of the coronavirus rollout, except every year. So you know, uh, 
I mean, I, I think that like we can still have an unacceptably toxic vaccine and have, you know, at least at least from like what used to be the normal regulatory perspective um, and still have life go on as normal. Right. Like and for most people, it just looks like nothing's happening. Like both of those things can can be going on. And this just will fade into the, the background of the sort of noise of declining empire and a decrepit society and all of these other kinds of things that are going to be killing us and, you know, just uh, eroding our quality of life. Like it's, it, you know, the the vaccine, like I, I, I almost feel like the the people who who um, are talking about like a mass sterilization event or like everyone who has a vaccine is going to like drop dead within 12 months like trust me you know like they they want it to happen just so that like the negativity or the the problem with the vaccine can just be acknowledged right because you would need something mm-hmm. that severe in order for people to be like whoa like you know we have to stop because at this point you know don as you say like there are extremely powerful um psychological reasons to just like not really want to bother with this and say like okay well what's the difference between uh, you know, one in 250,000 people dying of blood clots and one in 50,000 or one in 25,000 or whatever it ends up being, you know, um, and I, I think that's why uh, the kinds of, you know, psyops that we see going on are so effective, you know, because there is that that huge expectation. It's like, I can, I can go back to normal. I can live life again, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it can't, kind of works both ways right like the people that you're talking about that want it like almost want this like strong negative thing associated with the vaccine which doesn't really fit with you know the statistics around it and all that um i I think that would also make it easy to to blame their political enemies right yeah like it would be really easy to be like oh they pushed this vaccine and now there was all these like bad effects from it just like i predicted and that's all because of the democrats and blah 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 you know, it, and it makes it like a really nice and easy, like, again, blue team, red team sort of narrative. But, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. How much of uh, these issues do you think is, are, is a result of like the speed at which they tried to roll these things out? Um, probably lots, especially with the, the adenoviral uh, vaccines. So the, the blood clots um, issue seems to be uh, mostly um, the AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson vaccines, which have an adenovirus um, vector. Um, and so, I mean, I think one of the things that I mentioned um, in the vaccines episode that we did was just that, you know, the mRNA vaccines have the advantage that the only thing that you're dealing with in the vaccine is the mRNA. So when you're dealing with something like an adenoviral vector for your sequence, like basically these things are doing the same thing. They're getting the the sequence of a part of the viral spike protein into your cells, and then your cells make the viral protein, right? So they're kind of like the same type of approach, but the difference is that with the mRNA vaccines, you just have that sequence, and the adenoviral um, vectors have all of this additional sequence and their DNA. So um, there was just a report released. You know, I don't, I don't know if this is actually the case, right? Like this is the first report of this, but uh, I think it's a German group is is suggesting that the adenoviral vector is entering entering uh, cellular nuclei, nuclei where it's being integrated into. Um, the genome or being spliced in some way 
that is producing this this toxic effect, whereas the mRNA uh, vaccines do not do this. So if if that turns out to be what's going on there, then yeah, I mean that's that's kind of not surprising and and is related to the emergency use authorization stuff, right? Like this is stuff that mm-hmm. will show up in general in you know phase three clinical trials and. There are a lot of vaccines that fail phase three cl- clinical trials. Like it's it's hard to to overemphasize how unusual it is for like everyone in the industry to have a vaccine development um, project directed against some target that all succeed at once. Like that's never happened before, right? So definitely, <laughs> yeah. like the speed is going to um, imply that some of these projects have problems that would have showed up in clinical trials. And that's simply like, that's why the emergency use authorizations are there, right? Because the companies will not administer these things with like potentially unlimited legal liability if they end up, you know, having really serious problems. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, you brought up the, you know, AstraZeneca side effects and stuff. And I guess, I'm interested in this kind of more in the global political economy kind of side of things. Like, yeah. like how, I mean, for se- for selfish reasons, I care about like, say myself getting the Pfizer shot and then, you know, being able to visit people and stuff like that. Like I care about that, mm-hmm. but the, from like a, from like a scientific health slash economics perspective, I've noticed a lot of interesting things like United States is giving away a lot of the AstraZeneca. And I think even <laughs> Canada is going to maybe going to start doing that too. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's just, it's dumping. I mean, it really, it looks like to the world, at least like that it's dumping substandard vaccines on people that can't afford to say no. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. like the way it looks like. That's and, exactly We're basically uh, taking the bar rag, <laughs> just yeah. like wringing it out into a mug and giving it to you guys. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're seeing, you know, a lot of, uh, you're seeing some sort of like uh, vaccine sort of diplomacy with China and uh, Russia giving away a lot of them. But as you said, like those, uh, as as far as I know, those ones are also the adenovirus ones you were talking about, right? Like it's like, it's, uh, it's um, like they're, they're ones not based on the MR, MNRA, whatever. Um, there, there are a bunch like of they, different, they, yeah. They would maybe, yeah, they would potentially have the same kind of maybe side effects as AstraZeneca or something or lower effect effectivity rates or whatever like is that is that uh, yeah I'm not I'm, I'm betraying that I'm not very scientifically literate here but like you know like uh is is that like is there going to be sort of this situation where large numbers of people are getting vaccines that maybe don't even match the cautionary kind of standards that you're worried about here kind of thing so yeah um, it's happened before. Uh, it, you know, there, there are a number of different um, examples for, of um, particularly trials in Africa um, where, you know, what appeared to have been substandard batches were administered, you know, like there's just a lot of a lot of toxicity. Um, I think we, we mentioned one of those in the in the Bill Gates episode because um, the Gates Foundation has funded many of those. Um, so th- this is not this is you know really in no way out of character for this industry and for the sort of NGO sphere that's associated with it. You know, I I think the the trouble that I have parsing this stuff is that you know particularly in the West, um, 
it's not very clear that like state interests are being prioritized over corporate interests uh and you know i think kind of the upper hand is uh consistently being um shown to be with the the corporations right like certainly in their dealings with uh our governments you know they have no obligations right like in general like they're signing contracts getting the money up front from the governments and like when you look at the contracts which are like by and large secret they have uh no no legal liability um and they have no uh obligation to deliver on any particular schedule right so they can they can just keep telling us like we're we're seeing this in Canada for instance with the Moderna vaccines they can tell us oh yeah we're going to deliver like x million doses by the end of summer or whatever it is and just like not do that and actually probably internally have assessments that say that's like not possible um given their supply chain situation and their production situation you know so that's that's kind of what's happening at the at the industrial affairs level you know in in the west right so uh, countries that have even less kind of influence over um like major uh, transnational corporations and who depend even more heavily on you know their inputs to their economy or whatever are going to be faring even worse. So yeah, they're going to be taking whatever they can get as long as they think that like you know this is going to help in some way or at least suppress like popular dissent if vaccines are being administered, you know whatever the the objective happens to be. Um yeah so and i i mean the the part about not being able to distinguish like corporate action from government action i mean for for me i think what's important about that is that uh you know like for instance okay take the the astrazeneca thing like the astrazeneca problems were reported on widely extremely widely and with you know a certain a level of candid detail that even though you know all the regulators were coming out and saying like no like the first vaccine you're offered is the best one just take whatever like it doesn't matter um you know they were they were shouting about that but like the actual reportage allowed you to figure it out right and say okay you know like i would probably prefer to have one of these other things it's it's not clear like that that itself wasn't some type of like marketing coup by pfizer and and moderna right where um they managed to kind of like push those narratives into the mainstream and it's not like their vaccines aren't having problems right like you can go look at the the reports on vares or elsewhere and find yeah like they they do indeed have side effects like the rate is lower but like you know you have the myocarditis stuff with the the Pfizer vaccine for instance you know and like there's there's a couple of lots of of uh both the the Pfizer and the Moderna um vaccines that have been logged on vares that have you know a fairly large number of deaths and that's the kind of pattern that you would expect from you know like manufacturing variability and problems arising from that um so you know like in terms of okay well like AstraZeneca is not the favored vaccine anymore let's dump this on you know the very poor like I, I, to some extent that could be geopolitical like explicitly but on on another level it's like okay but you know f- probably Pfizer has has won some kind of like marketing uh success among um the western elite right like everyone uh who has a little bit of money and like can afford to wait or whatever uh is going to shoot for the Pfizer vaccine knowing what they know about the AstraZeneca vaccine so it's not i i don't know like it's just it's hard to say whether or not this is like a state thing or is it you know corporations kind of mm-hmm. fighting among themselves hmm. 
So let's talk a little bit about the effectiveness of the vaccines. Sure. Um, that was one thing that I think we we discussed last time about them, that we weren't expecting them to be as effective as maybe people were hoping. Um, now, since then, cases have gone down, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people are attributing that to the vaccine rollout and, and all that. Um, it, now, it's not that they've only gone down, right? There was like a small peak... Uh, like I'm looking at a chart here, here in Illinois, there was like a peak in like mid April where it basically went back up to like the first peak, actually higher. Um, and now we're sort of in a little bit of a lull. It seems to be kind of going down again, but we've seen this before, right? Like we've seen it go up and then come down and then like spike back up. So I, I'm still very much like wait and see. I think a lot of people are kind of jumping the gun in terms of like saying like, oh, they're super effective. Like, obviously, like they work. Everyone who doubted it is an idiot, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we just started this. Like, I don't think you can make any conclusions about it yet. I, I think it's, you know, you just got to play it out and see what happens. That's sort of how I feel about it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Have they changed at all since uh, the last time we talked about this or you, or, or what? Um, I do think that uh the the mrna vaccines are a little bit more effective than than i suspected initially um like i i strongly suspected like when the biointech ceo came out and was like yeah like covid's going to be with us for 10 years and that was like you know three months into his his products trial i was kind of like okay like this thing doesn't work um but i i think you know it's i think at this point it's unreasonable to think that you know the vaccines don't have any effect whatsoever and i i mean i think the the more important question is like are they effective enough um in terms of like is right. is the length of the protection conferred and the um uh the number of let's say mutant targets that could be neutralized by the antibodies that are raised by the vaccine so you know what i'm saying is like the effectiveness against variants if if those things are high enough given the levels of production that we have and given the rate of administration that we're achieving to end a pandemic you know without without substantial other kinds of restrictions you know like they they call them non-pharmaceutical interventions by which they mean lockdowns and travel restrictions and things like that um and i'm i'm skeptical of that uh i don't you know i i think it's probably possible that vaccines well, it's definitely possible that vaccines are in part uh, responsible for the declining cases that we see. I don't put much stock in case data. Uh, you guys um, maybe uh, heard that, you know, in January, uh, shortly after Biden was elected and the vaccine rollout began, they uh, like the CDC changed their um, PCR guidance for the um, cycle thresholds required to call a case positive. Basically, they they made the test less sensitive just as they were rolling mm-hmm. out the vaccines. So it's it's not really a surprise that cases have gone down uh, across the board. And uh, I mean, in many jurisdictions, we're still doing non-pharmaceutical interventions of one kind or another, lockdowns or what have you. So it it's incredibly challenging to tease these things out of these data series. Um, and everyone treats them like it's just one kind of continuous, uncontaminated stream of data. And that's, that's not true at all. Um, so, I, I mean, basically what I think you, uh, like, for, for me, what, what uh, 
the ball that my eye is on is this kind of um, interplay between, you know, what's being called vaccine nationalism and uh, this kind of commitment that we have to like a liberal uh, travel regime, right? Where you can just kind of go wherever you want. You have a passport, you know, the kind of global bourgeoisie expects to be able to be highly mobile and to, you know, go into the U.S. whenever they want and this kind of stuff. Um, I, I think those things are probably incompatible. Um, you know, I think basically like if if the idea was and, you know, you still hear this, this is kind of the rationale that is given when people kind of like tisk tisk the, the U.S. for not sending um, India like fermenter components, for instance, which they need to make vaccines, you know, they don't make them indigenously. Um, you know, or uh, does the same thing to Canada for, you know, like taking vaccines from like the COVAX program, which is supposed to, you know, the intent is to distribute vaccines more equitably across the world. You know, I, I think what's what's being missed there in this kind of like liberal idea of like, okay, we're going to vaccine or vaccinate the entire world at once, right? We're going to administer like, you know, 8 billion doses to everyone you know, within four months, and they're all going to be uh, fully vaccinated, and that's going to end the pandemic. I mean, that's not materially possible right now, and will not be, you know, for for some time, like probably a couple of years, uh, for the bioplastics industry to scale up to anything remotely capable of doing that. So, um, you know, I th I think basically. Uh, you know, the thing to, to keep your eye on in terms of whether or not vaccines will work is whether or not any particular jurisdiction, A, can amass the um, manufacturing supplies necessary to create the vaccines within the, you know, kind of allotted time period until the next variant uh, that escapes the vaccines roll around, um, you know, while they shut down travel. Because you're not going to be able to do this uh, with vaccine production as it is without preventing new variants that escape the vaccine from entering. Um, and I, I just, I think that the, you know, the reality is simply that the kind of mobility uh, regime for, for people um, that we kind of enjoyed through the, the last part of the 20th century um, is, is incompatible with uh, kind of a post-COVID world. Um, I don't, you know, you know, so basically what I'm saying is that like, if you're Israel, this might work, right? Like you, you might be able to lock down your borders and vaccinate everyone and keep well, everyone. Israel out. doesn't have any borders. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. Right. But, but, but yeah, point, point. Yeah. 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 And that would be good for the environment too. If there was less uh, people flying around all the time, I guess. Well, and I, I think ultimately, like that's that's probably <coughs> how this will be sold. Um, you know, and the zooming the zooming classes or whatever you want to call them are probably okay with this, anyways. Like business travel was, you know, I mean, some people liked it, I guess, but it, you know, it's obviously it, now it's 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 unnecessary and and kind of pointless. But uh, you know, I I mean, I I think that basically, like, if if politically it, it's just like not possible to do that to to interfere with the you know free movement of people across borders you know in this this huge way like may, maybe for instance the u.s is just too reliant on like 
um, you know, immigrant workers, like H-1B visas, like whatever it is to stop, then it, the, the vaccine is not going to be effective, in my opinion, or it's going to be much more implausible that the vaccine will be the, the solution that ends the pandemic. Right. Even if they are effective, just like it can't be the, yeah, you, you have to control other factors and stuff. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I had heard, and I don't know if this has been like debunked or, or what, but I, I was curious to hear your thoughts on it, was the idea that the vaccines are, um, they're most effective at preventing hospitalization and the severity of cases when you do get it. It's not so much about preventing you from actually getting the virus it's more about how badly does that virus then affect you once you get it yep so i i was maybe i'm misunderstanding the news story and everything but no no that's that's it i mean and and i didn't uh you know understand this um when i spoke on these vaccines um last time uh you know and have have since been apprised of the situation which is simply that the the trial was arranged in such a way um that that was the the end point of concern like that's that's what they're measuring is the effect on you know serious illness and hospitalization and not on transmission so they're they're not even making claims necessarily about transmission i mean like you know you'll see it in the literature that like people say okay well probably this um uh, does have have an effect on transmission, but uh, and and it's hard to see how it would not have some effect on transmission if it does have an effect on on hospitalization and so on. But at, at the same time, like that's the the uh, companies themselves are not claiming that this is going to stop transmission. And I mean, I you know you see this this kind of weird uh, like revisionist rhetoric about this now where it's like, well, vaccines have never been like a hundred percent effective, right? Like they've never, they've never stopped transmission. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, but it's it, <laughs> it, 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 like other vaccines are not targeting a hundred percent efficiency at stopping transmission. That's true. But at the same time, like you want it to be pretty good. Right. And if it's like not a claim that you're making at all, if it's not something that is going to the regulator for for scrutiny at all, you know, that suggests to me that there's probably going to be problems. And, you know, like the, the CDC has uh, recently decided, um, I, I believe that they're not going to uh, track breakthrough cases in vaccinated people specifically um, in all cases at this point. So I think it's only, only in serious, uh, hospitalization. Right. And so, I mean, like this, this is the thing, you know, it could well be that there are many breakthroughs. Um, but because the people are vaccinated, they have one, you know, dose of the, the vaccine, um, or even two in some cases, I mean, there are recorded cases of this. It, because they have they have been vaccinated, their symptoms are less. So they may they may be trans transmitting, they may have transmissible um, COVID infection, but it's just not uh, enough viral load to put them in hospital. And we just don't know that it's happening because the like the positive test that they get later is not being associated with the fa- their vaccination status. You know, so there there are a number of. Uh, possible problems around that and I mean I I just like I don't have a grasp of like what the actual let's say effectiveness against transmission is likely to be Um, and I don't 
know that many people do because the the data are not super great and they're they're difficult to interpret uh but my my general feeling is that like you know expectations for for that aspect of it um are low and you know when you hear people continue to talk about herd immunity in this very glib way where it's like okay well if we just get to x percent vaccination like we're good we can just reopen um i don't think that's going to work out um you know maybe something that's worth mentioning here which i i was i was concerned by um was a recent report uh suggesting that the coronavirus genome uh is actually integrated into the human genome in some patients and this kind of explains uh lingering positive cases that uh show up in pcr testing so you have someone who gets sick and then like later on uh has a has a um like they think it's a false positive you know this person has has resolved the uh the their viral infection but they're still testing positive um on pcr and this is happening apparently because um you know we have uh these things called line elements um long interspersed nuclear elements i think there is is what line stands for and it basically what they are it, you can think of them as like chunks of your genome that are hopping around and they relocate themselves uh, and these are probably like foreign um uh foreign additions to our genome from like ancient ancient history um but that uh, uh enzymatic system which allows those elements to hop around um, involves enzymes called transposons, which are responsible for inserting um, these these fragments into different parts of your genome. And apparently this can happen with uh, COVID as well. So, I mean, like, th this is going to get really complicated when we have a lot of people who've been sick, a lot of people who have been vaccinated. Like, the, the case counts are going to be very difficult to interpret um, if we have, like, you know, things like this this occurring uh, and, you know, the, the good news is so far, no patients have been identified who have got the entire genome. So it's not like these people are continuing to produce uh, COVID viral particles. They're only producing COVID um, sequence uh, that's being picked up. Um, so it's like truncated. It's not the whole, whole genetic complement there. Um, but, you know, my feeling is that, like, ultimately, if enough people get sick, there are going to be a few, like, tiny proportion of people who have the whole genome integrated and who are just continually going to be generating uh, new viral particles and possibly new new variants, depending on, on what happens, you know, in their, mm -hmm. in their cells. Um, and that, like, basically the, the implication of that and the implication of... You know the apparent difficulty that we have of of you know like shutting down borders and like doing the normal kinds of things that you know we used to do when there were pandemics in other places um you know the implication of that is that this is going to be with us for a very long time and is going to you know continue to crop up in little clusters here and there for a long long time all right <laughs> yeah that's, that's fun <laughs> yeah, I, yeah you know i mean i i think like in some ways this this you know is is the kind of thing that happens uh in in evolutionary history you know and and kind of is to be expected it's just that we we haven't had this happen to us while we were able to explain it at a molecular level or anything like this right so mm -hmm. yeah have you gotten a shot yet mike 
Uh, no, and I I will not be um, until I see you know a lot more a lot more evidence. Um, I I just you know I don't think the the risk from from COVID uh, to me or my family is particularly high based on our kind of exposure and, and habits. Um, and I, you know, I, I mean, I just, I see people lying to me all the time, right? Like, you know, I, I have a, a background in toxicology. Mm. I have a background in trial and regulatory statistics. Um, you know, uh, I have, uh, let's say family members in, in the industry. Um, and you know, when, when you have kind of like a, a background like that and people are saying certain things to you, you, you just realize that like, you know, not, not everything is about board here. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, that's, I'm not discouraging anyone else from, from taking it, you know, you, you, you exercise your own reason, your, you have your own priorities, whatever it is. But, um, for me, I will be waiting, uh, and I will be waiting for a, a time when I think it's plausible that, you know, uh, a mass vaccination campaign could have an effect on uh, the progress of the disease. And I'm, I'm not at all convinced that that's what's uh, likely to be the outcome for this particular push now. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess I've kind of felt similarly, but, it, you know, I was uh, made available to me for free. And so I just went ahead and said, okay, sure. Why not? Yeah. And I don't know. Uh, I, I don't feel strongly about it either way. I, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not even sure that honestly, like the, the level of risk that you're taking on, um, you know, like if, if you drink, you know, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the COVID vaccine. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're, if you're yeah. like going out on Friday nights and having, you know, like 15 drinks and then, like bicycling home or whatever, like your, your, your tolerance for risk is probably high enough that the vaccine is going to fly under your radar, whatever it is. Um, and, and I'm right. not endorsing any of that, but like, you know, it, there's no point in blowing this out of proportion. Sure. I, that's something like, uh, Luis Gomez said on the, I think it was like real ass podcast or something. He was talking about how like he didn't want to get the vaccine and he didn't know what it was and all that kind of stuff. And then his girlfriend pointed out, but you buy like drugs off random people on the street and put like anything in your body. <laughs> so, and he's like, you know what? You're right. I think I just don't like being told what to do. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that has a lot to do with it, you know? And, and, and I mean, for, for me, I mean, there's definitely that like psychological component, right? Where it's like, you know, probably people could, could tell from the, the, uh, explanation that I gave that, like, I feel like personally offended by, you know, being, being, um, uh, gaslighted and, and psyoped in the way that that we've been yeah mm -hmm. yeah i guess the thing is like people sort of view it as like you have a responsibility to get vaccinated because it's just some clear-cut thing where it's like this is this is the answer if you're avoiding it you're just going to prolong this and therefore like if it continues as you're suggesting that it probably will you know this pandemic uh, it's your fault for not getting vaccinated. That's the problem, not the policies that have been instituted, not the kind of like shady stuff going on with the vaccines and, and these companies and all that. No, it's the it's the fault of people who are like taking a measure of like skepticism to this. Yeah, you know, that uh, like, I mean, the, this this kind of of um, appeal has no no effect on me personally, but, you know, it's it's annoying. Um and you know, I mean, I 
like it's, it's pretty clear that the the idea that um like for instance you know, uh, going around for a little while um, recently was that uh, piece by some researchers at MIT who were looking into, you know, the scientific practices of the anti-masking community. And like the whole paper was basically mm-hmm. like, well, like the, these people are actually like replicating published analyses and like making critiques of them that are sound and like statistically literate and like you know people who are not statistically literate are like not even really uh respected within this community um you know they think that science is a process and not an institution and like you know that's why their dangerous misinformation is so difficult to counter, right? Like, because because actually they're doing what they ought to be doing, you know, um, mm. as as kind of like citizens, right? So, like, because I mean, I I was raised with this sort of liberal idea that like, uh, you know, basically like the exercise of individual autonomy would involve something like this, right? Like, you would receive a report from you know, some scientist or something like that, and you would look at it. And if you were, you know, like literate in the way that enumerate in the way that, you know, our schools claim to um, uh, produce in students, then you would look at it and you would say like, okay, that looks right. It looks like it was all kind of like done correctly. And I can replicate this analysis and I can, you know, agree with it because, or disagree with it for some rational reason. And, you know, that's respectable, right? Like that's, that's what it means to be an informed citizen um, with respect to some kind of like technocratic decision-making. And, you know, that's gone now, right? Like, there, there's if if you're doing that it's a problem because that makes you too credible relative to you know the people who are just screaming at you and you know telling you that like you're the problem like you're killing everyone like you're going to cause the pandemic to last forever um you know and i i just like I mean, personally, I don't, I don't talk about this with, with anyone really, um, because you, you kind of can't anymore. Um, you know, but like, I mean, just for me, it's, it's very clear that like the responsibility for the pandemic is with the people who were race baiting at the start of it and who didn't execute on kind of the basic policy measures that we all understand are necessary in order to control this kind of thing. Um, and you see that now in like the Canadian news, right? Where they're like, oh, like lessons uh, for Canadian borders from the pandemic, like they should be closed. You know? It's like, yeah, yeah, they should. <laughs> right. Like, you know, Chinese mm-hmm. restaurants are not the first priority, uh, you know, like or nor is uh, like people being mean on Twitter when there's a global pandemic breaking out. But yeah. Mm hmm. Um. So on that sort of point about like, you know, liberal uh, autonomy and whatnot, um, do you think that there's going to be more restrictions that start to kind of roll out on people that uh, refuse the vaccine? Like, do you think that you personally will be maybe put into a position where uh, you'll be unable to do certain things in public or something like that or travel or anything like that just because of your status? Uh, I I would be sure of it. All I, I, like some something is going to happen in that regard, right? Like there are going to be some types of restrictions. I mean, you know, 
I and and like eventually it may get annoying enough for me just where I you know my resistance breaks down right like I I'm a huge asshole so I can go for a long time but you know like it, they they may make it difficult enough um, that I have no choice or you know like they turn it into like a child abuse thing right like it'll be like oh like if you're not vaccinated mm-hmm. you're abusing your children we're gonna take your children away like yeah I'll get vaccinated rather than like you know deal with uh child protection services showing up at my door or something like that like there are definitely ways that they sure. could they could blackmail me into into doing it and yeah. you know i don't i i'm not a not a mark of the beast person not a mass sterilization person you know so i, I mean the 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 trade-off there is something that is not going to you know cause me to have a, a shootout with the rcmp over this or anything like that but um, mm-hmm. you, you know, I wink, wink, yep. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I do, do intend to, to, you know, just avoid it for as long as possible. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hickey neat at this point. So it's like, it's very difficult to interfere with me. Um, uh, so I, I, am confident that I can kind of draw that out for a while. Uh, and and frankly, you know, I mean, I think socially, like eventually, this is going to end up in in kind of chaos, right? Like the 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 discursive flip flops are happening so quickly now that it's like it's becoming difficult for them to memory hole stuff. Um, and you know, like the the media is just like so obviously untrustworthy that um, you know people who are or would otherwise be like highly inclined to just kind of take whatever CNN or CBC or whatever is saying at face value. Are now saying like you know like the stuff with like the AstraZeneca vaccine or the borders thing or whatever like it just looks really bad right like and that's that's kind of what they care about is is the the perception of it but I think eventually you know there's going to be a level of of uh, dissent and discursive chaos that um, uh, I think is going to create a lot of like like holes for people to to slip through like i i just i think is you know even even though we do have this like you know massive surveillance state and all of this kind of thing like i i really think that like the this the kind of like um coercive part of it is going to remain primarily discursive uh and media based for a long time because it's just it's so difficult to to organize like like an actual forced vaccination program or like you know what sure. whatever it is that that people are worried about i mean like there's there's a lot of um uh there's a lot of opposition and there's a lot of like legal hurdles that are left i mean we still we you know it's hard to say that we have like you know rule of law in, in any kind of like fair way but at the same time like you know the government can't do anything right so or at least there are yeah there are obstacles to that sure you know, with these uh, like vaccine passports and this whole idea, I, I guess like that hasn't fully been implemented yet, so I don't want to speak too soon. But as far as like what they give you now, like here in the U.S., they give you this little card, and it's just like the person who gives you the vaccine signs it. Yeah. Or no, it's not. It's not the actual person who gives you the vaccine, but is it's at that site, right? Like someone signs it. Right. It puts on the date, and then there's like the two. You know, it's a two shot thing for the one I got. So like. It, there's two signatures on there, but it's just a little card and there's like, no, I mean, this is as easy to counterfeit as like a hall pass in school, you know? So it just seems odd. Like some of the discourse around this, where this is supposed to be like this big, heavy thing, right? Like the vaccine passport, do you have it or do you not? Like, but then at the, on the other hand, like 
this is going to be so easy to fake if this is, you know, this is ultimately what the passport amounts to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, Just, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that's what you can do. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think that's, that's correct. And I, I mean, the, the, like there will be more sophisticated versions of that, right? There's going to be, um, you know, some, some type of like more computerized database, you know, whatever it is. Um, maybe with like, maybe they do want to do a microchipping thing, like, you know, and, and that's, that's something that they'll, they'll go for. Um, but, you know, I mean, my, my basic perspective is that all of this stuff is driven by profit and not necessarily by effectiveness. Sure. Right. And I mean, yeah. if, if you look at Israel, um, or, you know, like occupied, occupied areas of Palestine, or you look at Xinjiang, Right. Like these are places that are about as locked down as it gets. There are still loopholes, right? There are still ways to get get around this kind of thing. And like the objective is is really to make money for like Israeli and Chinese in, uh, uh, sort of IT intelligence um, security companies. It's not security. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, like when it comes to are they going to like really force you to get the vaccine like they don't necessarily care if everyone gets the vaccine, right? Like that, that you know, it's it's too that. Like I, I guess this is the thing, right? Like th this idea relies on like the vaccine itself being like the objective here, and I, I just I just don't think that it is, right? You know, the objective is is profits for um, well-connected insiders, uh, and you know, mm -hmm. billionaires continue to get richer, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, maybe we can start building tunnels and stuff all over the place to get from city to city <laughs> for uh, non-vaccinated people. If we need to, you know, um, is you know, and there, <laughs> there will be like counterfeit passports, and there will be these kinds of, uh, you know, ad hoc solutions to to get around this kind of stuff, um, you know, and and I I think we just like have to hope that it doesn't it doesn't come to that. Um, and that there is, you know, sufficient kind of resistance and counterfeiting and all this kind of stuff to just, you know, it, it'll just go on the pile with all the other grifts that we have and all the other, you know, like middlemen siphoning off wealth from our society without actually contributing anything. Um, you know, that's, that's where this is, this kind of slots in as like one of these kinds of quasi-criminal scams that is run by you know well-connected transnational corporations and their lawyers and you know this kind of stuff yeah that's the american way that's what made this country great yeah and it's it's, <laughs> it's nothing new right i mean we know how to deal with this stuff like you ignore it when you can and where you can't you try to get around it so yeah or make a buck off of it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, such yeah. an opportunity yeah. presents itself <laughs> sure yeah um as Adam Carolla would say, but good times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's uh, kick off the question section, and we will do uh, this one since I think this is talking about our you know esteemed guest here. It says you guys should have that anti-vaccine retard on again to describe just how wrong he's been about the vaccine rollout and what a moron he is. Yeah, here I so am. So that was essentially the. I think the pr premise of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, 
like that that's fine i'm i'm an anti anti-vaccine retard i guess you know and, and everyone is who who has read any of the literature basically at this point you know like the 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 funny thing is is like the way that um this is being deployed right like you know i'm i'm married to an immunologist like i have worked closely with many immunologists i'm vaccinated my children are vaccinated you know i don't doubt the the efficacy of uh vaccines in any general sense um nor do i uh think and you're not you're not really on that rfk autism thing either right i mean no that's bullshit i mean like you know i like this is the problem with this stuff, right? Like, I, okay, just just for instance, like let's let's say that we were to take really seriously what the science has to say about the process of, uh, you know, drug development and regulatory statistics and all of these kinds of things. You, you know, if we do that, and we, you know, like this this person should really read um, the book that I mentioned in the on the last episode, uh, Medical Nihilism which is not not a book about, you know, uh, like vaccines being evil or, or you know, being anti-vax at all. It's not, it's not really about vaccines at all. It has a more positive view of vaccines than it does of um, small molecule drugs. Um, but, you know, like you need to go and look at that and understand that, you know, what the evidence tells us is that when drug companies have a lot of input and a lot of control over regulatory trials, the results are uniformly positive in their favor. And when uh, regulators and government agencies and funding agencies are the ones who design the trials and who are not being, you know, um, shanghaied into action by, uh, you know, a global pandemic or, or however you want to justify the, the rapid action that we saw here, um, you know, when when those uh, agencies and groups are in charge of uh, study design, the uh, record of these um, companies is very poor. Uh, and indeed, the development record of, you know, most of the major vaccine manufacturers over the last 20 years is very poor. Um, there have been no new vaccines from a large number of internal uh, development departments at most of the, the big pharma, uh, big pharmaceutical companies, which is part of why um, uh, Pfizer went out uh, and bought um, BioNTech's technology. Right? They didn't have anything going on internally that could address that need. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at that, uh, you would be, and, and you were like truly... Uh, interested in the science, then your your prior belief would be the same as my prior belief uh, that I expressed at that time, which was that like probably these things were not going to be the solution to the global pandemic, uh, at least in the short term, and that the rollout frankly would go um, poorly uh, in the in the sense in the broader sense of like we're simply not going to have enough production to get uh, people these vaccines as quickly as would be necessary to have this kind of effect to stop the pandemic in its tracks. So I mean I you know I don't I, I, I stand by everything that I said. I may have made some particular uh, factual errors, but I don't think so. Um, moreover, I mean, I think if you, it, it, this kind of person is, is who's saying this kind of stuff is someone probably who is listening to, uh, you know, doctors on television. 
And, you know, if you want to look at what the science says about uh, the statistical literacy of doctors, of people with undergraduate medical degrees who, you know, get maybe three months of immunology in the classroom, like maybe three months of statistics, something like that. Um, what the, the science says about these people is that they have no idea how to interpret their own regulatory statistics. And that, in fact, statistical literacy is one of the most significant um, problems in that professional community. So it's very interesting that when, you know, the media wants to um, make this impression that, you know, like any any type of skepticism or hesitancy or feeling that like, you know, maybe this is not the, the light at the end of the tunnel, which is what the TV doctors were telling you. Um, that's that's anti-vax uh, sentiment. You know, when they want to uh, uh, create that impression, they interview MDs. And when they want to explain like, oh, like breakthrough cases are happening or like, you know, side effects are there and they're to be expected and like perhaps even at fairly high rates because we don't have all that much evidence about them, um, you know, at least high rates compared to other vaccines that we accept as safe. Then they roll out like PhD immunologists and, you know, epidemiologists and like the academics who study this kind of stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. who, who aren't like, you know, and just, like you, you see this routinely like in the in the news, this, this stuff that's like, oh, like vaccine hesitancy, like it's a real problem. Like what's going on with it? It'll be like they're talking to a liver specialist or something. It's like, well, what the fuck does this guy even know? Right. Like, seriously, what does why is this the person who is commenting on this? Um, you know, so I, I think like if, if you really seriously look at the, the literature about what's happening, right, not I, I'm not saying don't look at the, the literature about the vaccines, you know, but look at the literature as well about how trial statistics are conducted. Look at the literature about how much um uh your average md actually knows and is actually able to interpret the recommendations that they're getting from their national advisory councils or whatever um then you would you would at least be a little bit skeptical okay and i you know mm -hmm. may, maybe i come off as more um uh concerned or or like i i come off as as especially cynical um, and I, I think that's actually okay if it pushes people just a little bit in the direction of having a little bit more skepticism, because I think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's sort of hard because in the context, you sort of like feel a need to like express a certain view that isn't really as prevalent, you know, and then maybe it comes across as like you're more uh, enthusiastic or more you feel more strongly about it than perhaps you actually do or something like that. Yeah. And, and I mean, it is the, these you know, you cannot really talk about this stuff. And there are, there are many people uh, in this field um, who are uh, not happy about the way things have gone and, and are skeptical about um, different aspects of, of the vaccine, of rollout, of production, all of, of all of these things. The, the idea of like scientific technocratic governance depends on some type of uh, hearing or forum for different kinds of ideas, right? And if if basically what uh, we're being presented with is you must like unhesitatingly recommend immediate vaccination for everyone, 
then it's not possible. It just, you, you can't really have a discussion about like what is going on and, uh, you know, what the role of vaccines ought to be in the pandemic response. I mean, if, you, if you'll remember, I, I said on the last um, episode that I did not think that particularly the mRNA vaccines would be any particular risk to a healthy young person. You know, like not... Right. What my takeaway from that was that they would just not do anything, that they were basically... They're not going to stop I mean, the pandemic. Use this, this word, but my... Yeah, that they would just... Like, if, if there's a problem with it, it's that they just won't be effective, not that they will actually cause, you know, some sort of problematic symptoms or whatever well they're they're not going to cause people to be like dropping dead in the streets right like that and that's not what we see but what we do see is problems with some of the production platforms and we do see problems with um what are very clearly uh rushed drugs i mean that's that's a the long and the short of it like you know you it's just it's it's weird actually because it's like that that's what we wanted like the whole point of operation warp speed was to rush the development of a bunch of drugs and that's what we got and you know do some of them have problems yeah they do they really do like they're much more toxic than um your typical uh uh a vaccine that's approved by regulators than a flu vaccine or something like that that we um, administer on very large scales like it's it's I, I don't see how anyone could dispute that at this point right like what if if people um, if you were seeing the kinds of like blood clots and inflammation and these kinds of problems um, from flu vaccines they wouldn't they wouldn't administer them right but um, yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, I, I always feel that like I'm kind of leaning on the, the side for me. It's like, I don't know, maybe I'm not too worried about it myself just because it's like, I don't know. I, I feel a bit beaten down by all this stuff. And I'm just like, you know, let's see what happens in the future kind of thing. Like not not too worried myself kind of thing, but like uh, or maybe overly worried and now kind of despondent about it. But like uh, but I do have that feeling sometimes that I'm like. If I did have like a severe side effect and like died from it, you know, like from a vaccine that like uh, if I like if there was an afterlife, whatever, I would show up and they'd be like, you let someone inject it into you or something like that. They'd be like, (laughs) they'd be like, and they'd be like, you thought that was a good idea. It'd be like in that Limmy sketch. Have you ever seen that sketch where he other people start using this phrase around him and then he uh, adopts it as his own. And the second that he adopts it as his own, they uh, they all like tear away all of the reality basically and are like haha we just did that to convince like to gaslight you into saying a dumb new (laughs) phrase basically kind of thing i feel like that it would be like yeah we set up a universe to test you (laughs) to see if you would let someone inject poison into you and uh you did it because of peer pressure so uh you're the moron here and i'm like okay well that Fair does, enough. You know, that <laughs> that uh, does fit into my idea about doctors. They're all scammers yeah, yeah. and atheists. <laughs> sure. And, uh, you know, all they know how to do is to write prescription, take drug money, and lie. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. I, not a fan. I, I mean, I, I think I think you can find, you, you know, you don't you don't have to listen to me. I mean, I'm not I'm not putting my my name and my professional credentials on any of this. Like, I don't care if you if you take this or don't. But I mean, like you, sh- you should at least know that, like, my views are not uncommon um, in in this field. Like that's, you know, sure. so, some level of skepticism is generally um, uh, present, but not expressed. Sure, sure. 
Um, okay, so let's move on to some other topics here. Uh, this person says, what is God and why is he so hot, danging, darn elusive? Um, so I thought this was kind of an interesting question because it, to me, so, as someone who now believes, it, God is very obvious. Mm-hmm. Like when, when um, people who don't believe, like they talk about like, well, where is this God? You know, people talk about God, but I don't see any God, that kind of thing. Um, I understand that because that's how I used to see the world, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, to me, it's just like a, a you're looking for something that like, um, it's not, God isn't additive to what is already here. You know, it's more like you have, it's a, how you understand what you are experiencing and seeing. If, if you, um, if you look at it the right way, you will see God and it will be very obvious. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the concept that Ibn Arabi talks about of like seeing with two eyes, one eye sees that God is everywhere and the other eye sees that God is nowhere Mm. in the sense that God created everything. He's active in all things, all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, nothing that you see, no created thing is like God. So he's transcendent of all that. And uh, to, to truly understand things, you need to see with both eyes. You need to see how creation, like that God is completely transcendent and uh, outside of creation. But at the same time, you need to see that he's active in reproducing creation, you know? So if you're only looking with one, you're not really seeing the full picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this is pretty explicit in most Islamic theology, right? We we have uh, a God that is both um, transcendent and imminent. You know, it's, it's al-batin, he's the hidden, and al-mubin, the obvious, right? Like the apparent. Um, and, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, it helps a lot to... Um, you you basically have to think of this metaphysically right like do you think that the um apparent world is causally efficacious in and of itself in some way that doesn't transcend uh like for instance a, a materialist description of it so do atoms themselves cause things right like are they in some way deciding where to go uh, or what to do and you know you have this kind of idea maybe expressed in some articulations of like Copenhagen theory or something like that where it's like okay well there's a wave function associated with an electron and that's that's what's deciding what happens right which justifies this kind of idea of um, ontological or like causal randomness um, you know and I, I think like if if that doesn't seem right to you and you know you're the kind of person who thinks that like you know maybe there's some broader capital n nature that has some sort of like law-like regularities um perhaps punctuated by occasional departures you know (laughs) then you're muslim and you know you're describing god and (laughs) and the habit of god uh in the world and you already know what miracles are you know so like the uh, there are different ways to think about this but like you you have to engage with reality on some metaphysical level to understand what people are talking about when they're talking about god because you know i mean like the scholars will talk about uh, the traces of God, right? Like the traces of God's activity, the athar. Um, and that's what you're seeing in the world, right? Like you're seeing the 
causal effects of God's activity mediated uh, to you through, you know, this incredible um, sensory system that you have, which has like layers and layers of processing and all this kind of stuff. And angels are doing it all. So, you know, it's, that's, that's what's going on, basically. Um, all right, so this question is interesting. Uh, you guys should have an episode on Hajj for both Muslims and non-Muslims, preferably with a guest who already did the pilgrimage, since I think Tom hasn't done it. Uh, correct, I have not done the Hajj yet. Uh, I converted recently, but even before that, Al-Hajj seemed such an interesting thing to read about. I, also, I would love to know if that gigantic Mecca clock tower is as huge and ugly as it seems, and if Medina is as beautiful as it looks in the few pictures I saw of it. So um, I think our friend Ah, who has been on the show before, has done Hodge. So maybe he would be a good candidate for an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that idea. Yeah, Hodge. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I remember. You know, he he had some funny stories about all the different encampments and things like that, like all the the difficulties of navigating. You know, because because they have they go in tour groups, right? So it, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of little problems that came up too. So yeah. You have to, yeah, you know? I, I guess they, like the encamp. Yeah. I think so. And then like with the encampments, I think they organize you by your country of origin mm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have all these different little camps, which on some level, I guess that makes sense. Cause you know, like you're probably with people from that country and all that, but I can see that causing problems too. But yeah, that's a great idea. Um, we will definitely look into that. Alhamdulillah. And welcome to Islam to the brother or sister. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about this one? This question is for Tom only, so don't let Don read or hear it. All right. Cover your ears, Don. Yep. Sure. Who do you think Jesus's father is? So this is, uh, I don't think, a th- thing that... Well, in, in Islam, we we have the same idea about Jesus's birth, that there, like, was no... It wasn't a typical, like, there was a mother and a father kind of thing like that. Uh, what's the term? There's like a certain term. Immaculate conception, but that's not, okay. it, yeah, it, that, that means for, yeah, you just, uh, that actually refers to Mary, but like, uh, right. Um, it's, it, yeah, I know what you mean though. It's basically the same thing. Like, uh, um, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the technically, the, the way to answer this technically is that he has no father in, uh, from an Islamic perspective. Is that okay. does that sound right, Mike? Um, yeah, I I just always summarize it as like the virgin birth. I don't know. Yeah, right. Like yeah, the that's Quran, what it is. Yeah, the Quran says that God like blew his soul into into Mary's womb, um, which is, I mean, he does that with every birth, right? But in this case, it, there was no father involved in it. Um, so, like, I don't think that's too far from the christian idea except that like we would never say that um you know that jesus is the son of god and by implication that god is like the father or anything like that 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 would kind of go beyond the bounds of what we would we would say about that mm-hmm. but, sure yeah but but raised by joseph and mary right in uh yeah i don't think there's any difference really with, okay uh, not that i can remember is there like uh equivalent of the gospel like like a like a surahs that are about just 
Jesus's life and teachings and things like that? Or um, there are some. Um, it's not as in depth as um, the gospel, which uh, in Arabic it's called the Injil. Um, and uh, so there, I think most of the the stuff about Jesus in the Quran is about his birth and kind of his early years, and then about his um, you know quote unquote death, his uh, ascension to heaven and the crucifixion and that whole mm-hmm. deal. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. The Quran talks more about uh, Mary, I think. Than, okay. I think Abraham is the one who's spoken about mostly, and then Mary is is way up there as in terms of like one of the figures that is spoken about most often to the to the uh, extent that some scholars even consider her a prophet even mm-hmm. though there are no other uh, female prophets in, that we have confirmed so mm-hmm. yeah uh okay what's something you wouldn't be worried about even if they were real for example i'm not worried about vampires being real because i just go outside and touch grass i'm not a loser Hmm. I'll just say before we answer this, I really hate the touch grass thing. What, oh yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm I'm getting really like. Uh, just means go outside. Oh. No. Like you're stuck inside all day, so you don't touch grass. You can't make me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm turning into like a crotchety old man about yeah, a lot yeah, of these yeah, new yeah, yeah, yeah. internet phrases, the way people talk. It just always bugs me. Um, what would I not be worried about, even if it was real, because it would just be silly to worry about it? The vampires one is a good one, I guess. Um, I guess like goblins and little, uh, like little creatures like that, like gremlins and all that kind of stuff. They don't seem like a real threat. I feel like that would not, not be difficult to, uh, to handle. Um, like with the gremlins, you just don't. What what is it? You don't feed them after midnight or something? That's just good health practices, right? You shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be eating after midnight, anyways. Yeah, I'll say uh, COVID nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> I I would like to make friends with kobolds. I guess the the dog dog headed ones. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I was just listening to the Dogman episode that Subliminal Jihad did. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, they, you know, they sound terrifying, but like, what if they were little? What if there is a little one? Wouldn't you want to pet it? Yeah, mm-hmm. a little chihuahua guy, you know? There you go. Hmm. Uh, Tom, do you eat with the fingers on your right hand? I believe this is sunnah. Uh, so, yeah, it's sunnah to eat with three fingers using your right hand. Um, I, I mean, sometimes I do if it's like, uh, you know, finger food kind of a thing, or especially if it's like Middle Eastern or Indian food where that's just kind of like the way you eat it. Yeah, I will, but I won't really go out of my way. Like, you know, I usually eat like, a, you know, fork and a knife and all that kind of thing. Or if it's a sandwich, I'll, you know, just hold it with both hands. Mm-hmm. Just a typical thing. I don't know. Do you, uh, what do you do, Mike? You do anything along those lines? Um, that's, that's firmly in the category of the sunnahs that I do, if I remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. If I, if I have a, a fork or chopsticks in front of me, I won't even think of it normally. Um, the, the other one I always forget is, uh, uh, like sipping water, like the three sips of water with the, um, 
sallallahu alayhi between oh, yeah. them and i mean there's islam is is such a big tradition with so many practices that like any any given practitioner will only be kind of doing a, a small fraction of them um but uh I guess I guess the food sunnas are uh, are relatively strongly emphasized. I mean, maybe I should pay more attention to them. Yeah, I just feel like I am such a like a bare bones, like just doing the minimum kind of a Muslim, anyways. That it would feel a little bit ridiculous to like start doing all these things that feel a little bit more like this is a like bonus points. You know, I I just feel like I I need to work on more of the the groundwork rather than like sure. looking yeah. for extra credit you know yeah if you yeah. if you have like a thousand prayers to make up or something like that then then yeah your focus is going to be there probably right yeah um in the most recent episode so this was a while ago so it wasn't the most recent but in a recent episode agile tablet engaged a nasty bit of industrial dead naming when she used the industrial slur tar sands alberta's <laughs> oil industry would actually prefer to be referred to as the bituminous sands mm. pronounced bituminous will donald allow this slandering of the industrial heartbeat <laughs> of our great country to go on unchallenged yeah, so I don't know. This is it's funny how much uh, I don't know. I, it's a uh, it's a big thing in Canada, like just of uh, Alberta, like just uh, freaking out about this kind of stuff all the time. And uh, I don't know. I I feel like people are getting a bit tired of it. I don't know. In general, um, I feel like they're they they were had the upper hand for a long time. I feel like right now people are kind of like. I don't know. Maybe it's just that there's so much more whining from everyone else in the world at the same time, like all the small business owners in Ontario and stuff and everywhere that like they've been kind of on the back burner for now. And also that like, I don't know. Yeah. Like it's just, I don't know. But anyways, it's just, it's a very frustrating situation with all the, um, you know, like aggrieved oil industry people. So yeah. <laughs> the poor oil industry. <laughs> yeah my, my sense is is that at least part of that you know kind of like uh tired feeling that people have is is that the the oil industry is just not employing as many people and is not as profitable as it was uh before so you know the extent to which that resonates with people is probably less mm-hmm hmm all right, so let's wrap up with this comment here. It says, The lack of anti-Semitism in a podcast with a Muslim, a Catholic, and a dude called Goatstein is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> um, so we will do better in the future. Sorry, dear listeners. Uh, I guess this is the thing now. Uh, fartlow? Yeah, 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 fartlow. Have you yeah. have you seen this at all, Mike? The No. E-fartlow? You, oh, oh okay. some yeah, yeah. journalist or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just be happy you don't know much. Yeah, about it. yeah. That's, that's what I'll say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Thanks for coming on. At least I don't know. We had a good chat, and uh, it was uh, fun. Fun, although also a bit frightening. Uh, some of the stuff around the vaccines, and whatnot. But like, uh, 
Yeah, always fun to have you on. Yeah, I I uh, enjoy coming on, and I hope I hope people don't get too freaked out. You know, I mean, it, you have to use your reason, and and you know, like don't don't worry about it. Like if 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 you feel super worried about this, just stop thinking about it. It's probably not going to affect you. Like you need to just chill for anyone who's really disturbed by anything that I've said. Yeah. Fake vaccine, fake virus. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we'll we'll have you on again, maybe uh, to not discuss COVID and stuff. I feel like I don't want to pigeonhole you as like the COVID vaccine guy. Uh, you have a lot more to offer than that. So next time you come on, we'll we'll have a different topic of discussion. I think. Yeah, looking forward. It's just to like it. you're the most knowledgeable person in our group. You know, around this kind of thing, you have like a scientific background. I feel like you can parse a lot of this stuff a lot better than us. So it's just good to get your perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I think I I don't mind maybe staking out a little bit more of a controversial stance so as long as people realize that like that's that's what i'm trying to do is just introduce some things that are not getting set into into a discussion for sure all right so if you guys enjoyed this episode and you'd like a second episode of you can't win every week you can get that by subscribing to our patreon and you will also get access to our discord community uh, if you want to send us anonymous questions, you can do that by going to the Twitter account at You Can't Win Pod, and you'll find a link to the Curious Cat pin there where you can send those in. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.